But we can see that if we extrapolate and look at how technology is evolving over the past 10, 20 years, and then we can be quite confident that the next 10 to 20 years, the technology will develop faster because we already have a, a, a better basis than 10, 20 years ago. Um, so we can sort of argue that you know, 10, 20 years from now, we'll have augmented reality glasses that would most likely be able to tap into our brain. Um, and then we can interact with our brain uh, uh, through the internet. Um, as an organization, you need to start preparing for that already today because you know, the future happens faster than you think. Um, and if you don't start to do anything about that, you are generally too late. And I think that, that's really important where you have to bring it back, pointing people towards technology that exists today to show that um, what I predict is not not really far-fetched. It's not really science fiction uh, if you take into consideration what's already happening today. Hello, hello everybody. Welcome back uh, to the Boundaryless Conversations podcast, where we meet the pioneers, thinkers, doers, and entrepreneurs, and we speak about the future of business models, organizations, markets, and society in this rapidly changing world. I'm Simone Cicero, and today I'm joined by my usual co-host, Stina Heikila. Hello, everybody. Great to be here. And today we're also joined by Mark von Riemann. I hope I said that well. Mark is also known as the digital speaker. Uh, he's uh, recognized globally as a future tech uh, strategist. He has been thinking a lot and writing quite a lot about how technology changes organizations and society uh, with a strong focus lately around uh, a couple of very important topics, uh, especially metaverse and AI and other very important ones such as big data, blockchain, VR, AR and many other future driving technologies. Mark is the author of a book called Step into the Metaverse, how the immersive internet will unlock a trillion dollar social economy that covers what the open metaverse is and how organizations and consumers can benefit from uh, this upcoming immersive internet. Hello, Mark. Great to have you here. Hi, Simon. Hi, Stina. Great to, to be on your show and looking forward to the conversation. Let's jump into the conversation with, uh, I would say, a uh, maybe an opening reflection. How do you assess a new technology or trend when you understand that this is going to be something important, this is something huge? What is your framework to assess a new technology, a new trend? Yeah, the, the way I look at technology is, is, I think, first and foremost, it's important to understand that how I research, because um, I think you know, that's the, the, the step before um, how do I assess um, the technologies. And I think uh, when I research technologies, when I go through the internet to, to read all the latest uh, technologies that's out there, all the latest inventions, discoveries that are out there, uh, I'm also part of, of several uh, communities online and offline that help me think, discover yeah, new technologies and new approaches uh, to technologies um, and to have a better understanding of what's happening. Because I think that's the first approach. You, you can almost call it sort of the, the scout in me, you know, who, who scouts what kind of technologies are out there um, and how are these technologies influencing each other, uh, how are technologies having an impact. Uh, that's sort of the first step. Uh, where I start. And once I have a, a good understanding of where once I've discovered a new technology, um, I look at, um, I go more in depth into these technologies. So for example, let's say, I mean, one of the uh, recent trends, uh, generative AI, what I always 
like to do when I have discovered, okay, this is a trend that I think is going to be uh, to have a big impact, is to get a better understanding of what this trend actually is about. Um, and I do that by practicing what I preach. So I'm a futurist, but I, I don't only talk about the future. I also try to do <laughs> the future, so to say. You know, as soon as there's a new technology coming out, I try to, to use it, to apply it. I think because by doing that, then that's the way you get a, the best understanding of this technology. And in the case of generative AI, you know, I used uh, when ChatGPT came out, um, I think it was out for two or three days. Uh, I start I started writing a book uh, with it, and I wrote a book within uh, within five days and published it within seven days about technology written by ChatGPT with my supervision, um, and that gave me a really good understanding of what ChatGPT is all about, uh, how good it is, um, and how bad it is, what the potential is of ChatGPT and how you can apply it within your organization. And then once I have that understanding, I take it a step further and then I start to explore, okay, now we have this new technology, in this case, ChatGPT, Generative AI, um, how would that technology converge with other technologies? For example, the metaverse. And then I start to think about my, with my knowledge from the metaverse combined with knowledge from, in this case, ChatGPT, I try to see an understanding of how this will define the future. I think it's important to, to mention in this regard is that, that you know, I am an exponential thinker, uh, which means I don't think uh, linear, I think exponentially. I am able to sort of look into the future, not necessarily one to three years. Um, I look further down the line, uh, maybe you know, five, 10, 20 years down the line, um, how are these technologies going to impact our society from that perspective? I don't do this in a, a certain way because you, you can't really do that. You can't say that in 2035, uh, ABC will happen. Generally, those those predictions uh, don't don't come 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 true. But I can I can look at it from a from a more broader perspective. Uh, the greater how do you say that um, uh, a more abstract uh, level of you know, how will this affect uh, in the next 10, 15 years? And that's basically what what I what, what my focus is on. Not necessarily in the next one to three years, but more uh, further down the line, um, how this will happen. You said uh, three very interesting things. You said uh, first of all, you captured the future being part of communities. So communities are your raiders, right? Being part of communities helps you catch the new trends coming up uh, more easily. So that's the first thing that I would advise uh, our listeners to do if they want to capture the future. So be part of the communities where this future is uh, discussed, is the prototype and so on. Then you said another very important thing. You said you practice the future. So you, you, if something comes up, and I think this is very important with uh, technologies as we are living this today, technologies tend to be very democratizing, very easy to access. Uh, everything is now very easy to prototype. So practice the future, prototype it, so, so that you can really assess what potential impact uh, this has for you. And finally, you said, you combine things, you converge, you, you take a new trend and you kind of cross-fertilize it with existing trends that you are monitoring. So maybe we can picture yourself and, and our, our listeners as well to keep uh, some sort of a trend uh, scope, right? And, and then when something new comes up and say, you know, how can I combine this with the other things that I'm experimenting with? And I think these three things, communities, practices, and uh, convergence uh, are three topics that uh, it's interesting to underline for our listeners. But then uh, I want to throw back a, a, another question to you, another reflection. So when you think about the future so far, so far ahead, so five to 20 years, uh, it may result very abstract for people. So how do you make it relevant uh, for yourself, but also for the people you, you talk to and you work with uh, if something is so far away? And the other risk is uh, you tend to be 
so much in advance that pushing yourself in the future, it makes you less interested in the real impacts that are having impacts uh, uh, nowadays. So how do you reconcile this uh, distance, let's say, with the topics that you explore? I think yeah, on the one hand, yes, um, um, I have this abstract view in the future, but I always try to make it tangible uh, by giving examples of what could happen in the future. Because it's very difficult to think of the future, of how the future might look like if that's not your job. Um, and so I do that by giving examples. For example, um, uh, uh, I think that um, you know, in the next um, uh, decade, mobile phones, uh, tablets, smart, uh, computers, laptops, they will, they will start to disappear. Um, because we'll be able to have you know, smart uh, artificial, uh, sorry, smart uh, augmented reality glasses that will allow us to take over the role of a phone, take over the role of a computer, because we can just spin up five different screens in front of us. And I think that is um, um, an example of what uh, how the future might look like um, 10 years from now, where we are in a cafe uh, and instead of scrolling on our phones, we are all sort of you know, waving in midair with our hands because we have glasses and we have five screens in front of us and we have a, a keyboard in front of us that you can only see with the glasses. Uh, and, and so we're all you know, waving in, in mid midair, um, interacting in our own world, doing our own work within the cafe. Uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is, is, is not, not for the discussion, at least not in this point, I'm happy to, to go deeper in that. Another example is if we go a, a little bit further down the line, I use technology from today and see what happens in the world to extrapolate that to um, uh, 10, 20 years from now. For example, about a year and a half ago, I tried um, a brain-computer interface um, that I was that was a wearable. As, um, I could literally put it on my head, and within five minutes, I was controlling my computer with my brain. That, to me, was uh, mind-blowing, pun intended. Um, and it was really an experience that, that allowed me to see the future um, right in front of my, uh, my eyes. What happened next, a year later, was that that company was purchased, was acquired by Snap. Snap is a company maybe, you know, focused on augmented reality uh, predominantly. And then you can see what happens. You can see that the augmented reality and brain-computer interfaces are starting to converge. Now, we can also see that brain-computer interfaces, is, it's very, very, very early days for brain-computer interfaces. But we can see that if we extrapolate that and look at how technology is evolving over the past 10, 20 years, and then we can sort of be quite confident that the next 10 to 20 years, the technology will develop faster because we already have a, a, a better basis than 10, 20 years ago. Um, so we can sort of argue that you know, 10, 20 years from now, we'll have augmented reality glasses that would most likely be able to tap into our brain. Um, and then we can interact with our brain uh, uh, through the internet. Um, so that's sort of how I how I do it. I, I try to give tangible examples of what the future will look like without being too specific, because that's that's very very difficult. Um, and at the same time, I bring it back to today's world. That if you know that that's going to happen in 10, 20 years, um, as an organization, you need to start preparing for that already today, because you know, the future happens faster than you think. Um, and if you don't start to do anything about that, you are generally too late. And I think that that's really important, where you have to bring it back pointing people towards technology that exists today to show that um, what I predict is not not really far-fetched, it's not really science fiction, uh, if you take into consideration what's already happening today. One thing that uh, maybe we can do now, we can dive a bit deeper into the meat, let's say, you know, into the vertical topics that are the most, uh, uh, the oldest uh, today. We're now living through a kind of... Um, uh, disillusionment moment for the metaverse. You know, we have been talking about the metaverse for the last uh, year or so, probably a couple of years. One of the biggest uh, 
companies from Silicon Valley even changed its name to uh, resonate with this idea. And now it seems like it's a bit um, on a downbeat, uh, while on the other hand, uh, we are living through the hype of AI. If you have to picture out to make a drawing of this uh, um, entangled mess, uh, which is uh, the metaverse, uh, AI, uh, VR, AR, uh, somehow also the Web3, how would you describe the contours of this picture? How would you put things in order so that we can understand a little bit, our listeners can understand a little bit what are we thinking about and also maybe what are the major impacts uh, that you can already see unfolding for organizations on one side and business models on the other side? Yeah, I, th- I think this is really interesting. What what's happening in, um, at, at the moment? That you know, uh, everyone, uh, everyone, and with everyone, I it's, it's sort of the internet. Um, you know, is declaring the metaverse debt. You know, is declaring the metaverse as a well, not necessarily as a fad, but no, but yeah, it it, it it's not really happening. You know, and and AI is the next big thing, um, and this is literally history repeating itself. We saw that with uh, two thousand seventeen and eighteen with crypto and bo- and blockchain, where the hype of the, of, of that day and they we're going to change everything, and then the crash happened. And then Bitcoin, Bitcoin and blockchain were out, and and is not going to do anything. Then we had the NFTs. NFTs, when of course went through the roof. Then it, 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 the entire NFT market crashed again, and then NFT are a fad. And yeah, it's, it's, this is this is happening every time. And for the past um, over, I'm, I'm in this space for over a decade now, and every one or two. Three years, there's a new technology coming that that gains attention, um, has hype, and then is just chucked out again because there's a new technology coming coming down the road. And this is exactly happening with 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 the metaverse at the moment, where you know we see now generative AI, ChatGPT, you know, massive hype. The conclusion that that the internet therefore makes is generative AI is the next big thing. Therefore, um, the metaverse is dead, or therefore, you know, <laughs> the the former technology is no longer relevant. And I. I find that quite short, short-sighted, to be honest, because I don't think that that's how it works. You know, um, it's not that the metaverse is, is gone. It's not that the metaverse um, is not being developed anymore. Um, it's not that the metaverse is not going to happen. Um, in fact, the metaverse is happening as we speak, and people are building fantastic technologies to make that happen in the years to come. And in this case, AI will play a major role in that development. The fact that there's a new hype doesn't mean that the previous hype is no longer relevant. If we would live by that paradigm, I think we would you know, we would be running from from the one hype to the next hype to the next hype, and I don't think that was that's a very smart thing to do as an organization. Um, as an organization, you need to listen to the market. You need to you need to see these hypes come and go, and you need to understand that this is predominantly news outlets trying to tell a story um, and that doesn't mean that the underlying technology doesn't really happen um, so that that's sort of what I, what I I find it quite funny how it works you know that everyone now declares the metaverse sort of dead in the media uh, because we now have the next big thing generative AI I disagree with that I think you know the metaverse is not dead in fact there's more happening in this space than ever before in the end the metaverse as I see it is the next iteration of the internet um, and it is the you know the we move from a 2d to a 3d internet and yes of course the AI will play a major role in that um, but they're not mutually exclusive it's not that because we have AI that therefore the metaverse doesn't happen anymore um, and I think that's important to be aware of that's pretty clear that you know there are many things happening in parallel let's say like the trends are are not disappearing and, and popping up. They are they are kind of coexisting to some extent. But this makes it also quite fussy as a thing for companies to maybe take in, into account. 
when you work with corporate leaders and uh, people who are following your work, what kind of skills do you suggest to build internally? Is that a case of like setting up some specific roles for monitoring this? Or is it something that has to be more mainstreamed across an organization to be able to keep track of? And or is it something that can be solved by one case by some specific, uh, you know, one of consulting for that specific business sector? Or how, how do you think about that uh, in terms of building capabilities for monitoring these trends? That's a good question. I, th- I think what is really important is that, a, that an organization uh, develops a sort of a digital DNA, you know, a digital capabilities of, of understanding these technologies. Because if you don't understand the technologies, if you don't understand what these technologies mean, um, you will go by the hype and you will go by the whatever you read online. And if the, if the internet declares the metaverse dead, therefore you know, I don't have to pay attention to the metaverse as an organization. You know, that's of course wrong. Even if it's a, a minimum, because obviously you know um, uh, it's very difficult for CEOs or business leaders to to gain the same deep expertise on the technologies that I have, because this is my job. You know, this is what I do for a living. I I, I research, I investigate, I experiment, I explore, um, and you know I can't expect anyone uh, who's for whom it's not their job to do that to have an you know, equivalent understanding of these technologies as I do. I still think as an organization you need to create this digital DNA to have the feelings and to have the sensors within your organization that if a new technology pops up in the media, um, that you are able to relate to it, that you're able to understand what that technology means for your organization, whether that technology is actually relevant for your organization, because obviously not all technologies are relevant for all organizations. Um, And you need to be able to understand, you need to be able to to sift through the hype. You need to be able to understand, uh, okay, I I use this technology and I I dive deeper in this technology because this seems relevant for my company, in my industry, um, uh, with my challenges that I face as a business leader. And I think if you are able to do to do that, um, then you have you you're creating um, a unique capabilities for your organization that will make you stand out and make you more competitive. Um, and it also allows you to to ignore what's not relevant for you for your for your business. And I think that is uh, otherwise you just you, you blow with the wind, you know, to from the one from one hype to another hype, um, and you get you'll get very tired from that. Um, and I think you need to um, if you have an understanding, if you have this these capabilities of, of this digital DNA within your organization. And this can be uh, a few people within the business who, who explore what's happening um, and then disseminate that knowledge throughout the organization so that everyone in the, in the organization has, has a, a good understanding of what's happening. Because it's my belief, that if you truly want to digitally transform your organization, Everyone within the organization, from the the warehouse employee to the secretary to the CFO, everyone needs to understand what these technologies mean for his or her job and for the company and for the industry as a whole. Uh, And if you're able to bring that into your organization, I think that as an organization, you have a, a very, very good position to incorporate the relevant technologies for your business and to benefit from it. What are the access, let's say, that uh, an organization should consider, should ponder when evaluating the impact of a new technology or a new trend. Uh, I'm, I can think about you know, the business model, I can think about the business process, and I can think about maybe the organizational capabilities or organizational model. What, what kind of compass do you use when, when, you allow, when you help organizations to assess the impact of a certain technology? other than those axes that I, that I spoke about? Very much depends on where and to, to whom in an organization I'm talking. Um, um, so who is, who, is, who, is my, who is my audience? 
if it's someone from the marketing department, um, 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 it's a different discussion to have than someone from supply chain, um, uh, because you know both departments, both very very relevant for organization, they both have a different perspective on technology and they use technology in different ways. It it very much depends on you should use these technologies, whether it's blockchain, whether it's um, uh, crypto for that matter, whether it's the metaverse or generative AI as a means to an end. Not as an end in itself. You should use it as a tool. What it, what that's what it is. It's a tool. You should understand how you should be able to use that tool. You know, and it's an advanced tool. So you should be able to understand how to use an advanced tool. You know, you're not going to give a chainsaw to a, a eleven-year-old kid and not tell him or her how to use it. You know, um, and I think the same thing is with these technologies. You you should see it as a tool. Um, and and once you understand how the tool works. Um, then you're able to understand how you can apply it within the business and within your uh, department and within your set the challenges that you are facing. So I think that is the the how you should look at this. You know, the, these are tools that you can use to make your life easier, to make your work better, to create better customer experience, to to increase the bottom line, to reduce the costs. All these outcomes of an of an organization. If you look at it from um, uh, these technologies are a tool to achieve what I want to achieve, then you, I think you're already a, 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 a good step ahead. What are your horizons we should think about as a, as a, as a company when evaluating a new technology in terms of you know, short-term, mid-term? What are the horizons that you tend to use? Well, I have a very long-term perspective. Um, and I think um, as an organization or as a society, we should have a much longer-term perspective than we have today. In fact, I think as a society, we suffer from a, a disease called short-termism, uh, where we are driven by shareholder value um, and really focused on the next three months or the next uh, one to three years. Um, and I think that is problematic from a societal perfect perspective. Um, uh, and we don't build technology or we don't apply technology or we don't use technology in the most optimal way for society as a whole. I would rather see that we have a more long-term stakeholder approach than a short-term shareholder approach. And this applies to everything. Let me give you an example. Uh, uh, If we look at um, artificial intelligence, the technology that we are building today, um, the ChatGPT that everyone is using, uh, um, all the machine learning and deep learning and neural networks that are out there for all the applications that that we are building, these AI that we're creating today are forming the basis of AI 10, 20, 30 years from now. So if we develop that AI today, we should look at that technology from that perspective. Why do I say that? Well, we only have to look at the history for that. You know, many banks and many financial institutions in the world still rely on a very old programming language called Cobalt. Um, and uh, there are very few Cobalt developers left in the world who can actually help those banks keep their Cobalt in their organization up and running. Um, it's a very good job if you want to make a lot of money at the moment. That happened because over the years, we have just we've continuously built on top of that foundation that was built 30, 40, 50 years ago. And we have not reinvented ourselves. We have not started from scratch with the newest technology. No, instead, we built on top of what we have already built. And the same thing will happen with, for example, AI, where the chat GPTs of, you know, one chat of GPT-1, GPT-2, 3, 4, 5, uh, 10, 12, whatever, they are building on top of each other. So anything that's built into the foundation um, will still be in that AI or in, in its what's called child AI um, uh, 10, 20 years from now. We, we have to have a long-term approach because 
if we do it wrong today and we fast forward 20, 30 years, then we are left with the stuff that we've built today in the wrong way, whether it's biased or insecure or whatsoever. And I think it's good to have that perspective because otherwise we'll get the companies of the future or basically today's companies, but then still existing 30 years from now, who will face the same problem that many banks around the world face today when it comes to their cobalt within their organization. Getting things right is obviously like a very difficult question, right? What is right? <laughs> what is wrong? What kind of mistakes do we want to avoid? So, so I wanted to check, how do you deal with questions like values and, and ethics to some extent? Like uh, when you evaluate this as expo exponential trends, you probably also have a normative value-driven approach to some extent, right? So what, what are the considerations that you take in evaluating technology from more that value-based perspective? If I look at technology, how we should develop it, That's a very tricky concept because if we look at AI um, and and there's a you know um, a, a big part of that is that we should develop responsible AI, and we should develop AI that's ethical, we should develop AI that's unbiased. Um, um, but if we look at it from that perspective, you know, uh, machine ethics, so to say, what is ethics? What is good? What is bad? Um, what is good today might not be good tomorrow, um, uh, and vice versa. Um, and um, I think that is extremely difficult to say something about that because the world is changing all the time. If we are too rigid in what we build today, uh, we might not be able to change it without much problem or damage or challenges in the future um, uh, if those things change. And often we already make a lot of mistakes in what we build today, giving to the, to the ethical things that are sort of you know um, um, have common ground around the world. So that is really challenging. This is a really difficult subject of how do we instill ethics um, in the technology that we're building. And I do, unfortunately, I do not have a, a clear answer to that. Um, the only thing is that I, you know, I, I think we should pay more attention to what we're building. And unfortunately, we're not. Um, I mean, we only have to look at ChatGPT. You know, it was it was launched um, um, a tool that was still in R and D phase. Um, and within five days, it had a million users, and within two months, it had a hundred million users um, of a tool that was still in R and D phase. I think that's problematic because we all of a sudden we have a hundred million people who use this technology, who not necessarily think about the consequences of, of of how they should use it, or why they should use it, or in what way they should use it. Um, and I think that's sort of a common problem that we've had over the past 25 years where we have sort of sleepwalked into this digital age without really thinking about the implications of what we are building and the unintended consequences that come with it. And I think that's sort of the challenge that we face here. You know, as we are digitalizing our society, as we are moving to this immersive internet, which will be as pervasive as the air we breathe, we will be part of the internet. How do we deal with, with all these problems? And I don't have an answer to that. But all I, I can say is that we have to have a good understanding of what these technologies mean. We have to make sure that we build the regulations in place to, to not bear into the into the problematic too soon or, or too far. Above all, we should, you know, just like at, at, in the academia, if you want to do research, you have to really uh, develop your research proposal. Uh, you have to go through the ethics committee. Uh, uh, they have to approve what you're doing. Um, so it, there's a lot of, uh, you know, back and forth and a lot of thinking before you actually proceed. And I think, Technology space could you have 
could make use of that more uh, than it is today. I think we often we move too fast, especially with technology that is, um, is so powerful without truly um, uh, thinking about uh, the implications of whatever we're building. I think this is a, an open debate, right? And, you know, there is a lot uh, of uh, conversation around uh, emerging technologies and uh, the correct approach to frame this uh, in, in the long term and, and try to control the uh, the contradictions. Uh, um, but still, uh, personally, I'm a bit uh, I'm faithful uh, that uh, a regulation-based approach can can really work for for these emerging technologies they are too fast start too small <laughs> you know, to be regulated what do you think I, I agree with that um but i i'm arguing for a different type of regulation because no governments should not regulate and think about how we should use ai or chat gpt uh, or how we should develop it because i don't think that's a good idea because governments generally have no clue what's happening if we ask regulators to build the laws, create the laws that, that regulate you know, the development of this technology, I think that's, that's problematic. What we can require uh, and what should be regulated is that starting with public companies, but ideally all companies that develops advanced tools, um, advanced most, most of the time these are advanced digital tools, uh, that we require a sort of an oversight board or an ethics board or a, a board that, 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 that has a say in the development of those advanced tools and that this board is actually powerful, not like the board that we saw with Meta that, that really didn't couldn't really do anything anyhow, uh, but a, a really powerful board that, for that matter, could fire the CEO. Uh, so that, that you have a board in place that requires the tech companies who are building these really advanced tools, that there's a, an independent board that reviews what's happening and whether we are moving into the right direction. That's something that regulators can require, and that's also something that they understand that field. Uh, and then we don't stifle the innovation because I think innovation is really, really important and we should not you know, have regulators stifle innovation. But we should think more carefully about the innovation. And I think that's something that the regulators can regulate. We started this conversation, or at least we started our conversation in preparation of this uh, recording from the topic of the metaverse and, and then generative AI took stage very vehemently. You studied this since a while now. You've been presenting and trying and testing and prototyping. Can you maybe drive us through some of the most uh, groundbreaking use cases that you see coming up in, in the long and, and midterm, maybe uh, when it comes to business models, organizational models, and maybe social impact, social models, I would say, around metaverse, generative AI, its convergence, maybe, I guess, also with what we called Web3. So what are the most interesting use cases, the most tangible, the most exciting? Uh, and maybe if you can also help us go through the vaporware <laughs> in a way that really gives us some tangible ideas of the transformative impacts that these technologies can have on our organizational models, on our social agreements and our products. Uh, wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a very broad question, um, uh, but I think it's um, it's also a very interesting one because it's it, it's it's you know uh, it requires sort of to think about you know what is the impact of these technologies on organizations. This impact is enormous. You know, uh, 
if we look back at how the internet in the past 25 years has changed the economy and society, um, we can only imagine how that will have an impact in the next 25 years. Where the, the, the starting point today um, for the next 25 years is 100 times further and more advanced than the starting point 25 years ago. So we can be certain that these technologies, as they converge in the coming 25 years, um, that they will drastically change everything. Um, um, literally everything that we know uh, of how we run an organization, of how we build an organization, how we fund an organization, how we sell our products, how we market our products, how we distribute our products, um, every component of an organization will be disrupted in the coming 25 years. Um, and it will be automated. It will be made more efficient, more effective, in some areas more fun, in some areas more problematic, um, depending on how we look at these technologies. But everything that, that we currently do within an organization, um, all the jobs that we have, they will change in the coming 25 years. That's how I look at the technology, simply by seeing how what's coming, the starting point where we're at um, and where we're going. Take, for example, uh, marketing. The way marketing currently works, uh, you know, we create um, um, uh, uh, some kind of communication to sell a product or service to a segment for a particular price. Most of these components are not personalized. Uh, price is often not personalized. Communication is often not personalized. Sometimes it is. There are definitely use cases where communication is personalized. Segments, uh, we, we often, you know, we not many companies work with a segment of NS1. Um, but if we start to use technology, in this case, for example, uh, you know, uh, uh, generative AI, uh, we can move to um, uh, uh, a world where we automate our marketing um, using generative AI to create a, a, a segment of one which has you know, individualized communication based on the data of that NS1, um, creating an individual price for that particular, uh, particular segment, um, uh, which will have a better conversion rate than what we have today. So this is a very simple example of how technology will impact this. But uh, if we look at blockchain, on the other hand, from a more B2B perspective in the supply chain, you know, smart contracts from that perspective will completely streamline our supply chain, our global logistics, um, um, and therefore globalization. And the impact that that will have will be transformative for how we um, uh, ship stuff around the world. If we're not stopping shipping stuff around the world, because we're going to build it locally with 3D printing. There you see there's a lot of you know, technologies that are converging, but also you know, um, yeah, sort of fighting against each other, uh, where on the one hand, you know, we, we use blockchain to a smart contract to make it easier to ship stuff around the world. But then we have 3D printing, which, you know, makes it no, no longer necessary to ship stuff around the world. So there's a lot of things happening in this space that I think it's important to be aware of. You spoke about uh, AI, generative AI as a massive driver of personalization. You spoke about blockchain and smart contracting, about uh, massive streamlining, contracting, and supply chain. If you have to identify maybe one impact of uh, the metaverse, what would it be? 
one impact of the metaverse. <laughs> it's going to change collaboration, how we collaborate, whether that's collaboration with customers, whether that's collaboration internally, whether it's collaboration across supply chains. It will change how we socialize. We are moving from a 2D internet to a 3D internet. And a 3D internet is a lot more uh, native to us humans because we are 3D beings. You know, we're not 2D beings. We thrive in a 3D environment. So if we have a 3D digital environment that will allow us to have um, yeah, much better conversations while being geographically apart. In my book, Stepping to the Metaverse, I look fast forward 10, 15 years, um, how this might change society. Um, and uh, one of the things I write um, is that because of the possibility to have hyper-realistic 3D collaboration, it doesn't really matter anymore where you will live in the world. Because whether it's for work, whether you are um, uh, on the other side of the world, um, you can still, it looks like you're still physically present at the head office on the other side of the world because the lines between the digital world and the physical world are, are starting to begin to blur. Now, if that happens for your work life, then it will also happen for your private life, which is one of the reasons why often people don't want to move to the other side of the world is because they don't want to miss their friends and family. But if the technology of the metaverse will become so advanced in the next 10, 15 years that it feels like that you can be with your friends and family while you're not, but for, to our brain, it just feels like you are in the same room, then that might allow people to move more globally and move to other places around the world. Now, if that happens, your know, countries might change their tech system to attract those global nomads, uh, as we see, for example, happening in Estonia or other countries, to make it more effective and more efficient for those global nomads to live in their country um, and to do business with that country. Now, if that's the case, then at some point, you might argue that um, we um, people start to get paid in crypto, but only pay taxes in one location for a lot less. And if you don't start to think further ahead, you, you, you look at these geopolitical changes that at some point in the future, people might become more loyal to their virtual metaverse world than to their country, because that's what they are more involved with. And then that sounds really futuristic and it sounds really far, far-fetched, but we should not forget that Generation Alpha, or maybe we should say Generation AI, is already seeing, is for them, their digital reality is already as or more important than their physical reality. That's research that has shown that. If you look at it from that perspective, it's not too far-fetched how this might pan out in the next 15 to 20 years. I want to underline that uh, you kind of highlighted how this is happening through the last 25 years and the next 25 years as uh, connected, right? And if I picture this along an exponential curve, I kind of see how the change in the next 25 years is going to be much more impactful than the change that we have seen in the last 25, right? Because it's going to be an exponential. You said it's going to drastically change everything, but three things that we have maybe double-clicked upon is streamlining contracts, streamlining automation, org automation with, with smart contracts and blockchains. You said personalization, segments of one, thanks to AI, and uh, maybe thanks to the metaverse, we can push forward, move forward uh, along this line of increasingly easy collaboration, right? Which is something that I already see, you know, because if we think about how much the things have changed uh, as a consequence of the pandemic, we kind of uh, already live into this uh, semi-metaverse, right? In the last three years, 
I haven't uh, traveled on a plane. It's been you know, a miracle, but essentially I've been able to work with people all over the world from this my little studio in Frescati in, near Rome. So that's something that is already happening. And I think the, the picture of the world, the business world in general, the picture of the uh, internet enabled world that you, you are talking about uh, looks like something very wide at the bottom, these very wide infrastructures in blockchains and metaverse and AI. And uh, on top of these wide infrastructures, lots of variety and plurality, smaller teams that can achieve uh, bigger impacts, more personalization, uh, maybe more self-organization, right? So this is a, a picture of an internet that kind of uh, uh, bifurcates in two directions, one on the top, which is very diverse, plural, it's much easier to organize, much easier to interact, much easier to create something new, and these large enabling infrastructures on the bottom, right? So this is what uh, I think it was worth uh, uh, double-clicking for our listeners. I think it's uh, definitely, like you said, uh, Mark, that it's actually not so far from what we are actually seeing uh, happening, especially this uh, like kind of digital world, connecting with the physical world and so on. I saw one, not contradiction maybe, but it's it's a kind of friction. You mentioned before that, uh, you know, we're going to build on top of what is happening now. How open should things be? We can also see that there can happen some kind of polarizations and lock-in in that space, right? So how do you think about openness in in your work? And maybe more also like, how do you think about it? But how do you think that companies who develop and use new technologies might think about openness, like in terms of interfaces and even to some extent, like the code that they build their their new structures on. Well, I think you know, openness, um, uh, or in this case, an open metaverse, is very, very important, especially for um, uh, um, a digital society which is remains you know pleasant to live in. I think we should, in a world where we create a hundred or a thousand times more data, we should have control of that data, and that control should not lie with centralized big tech companies. In order to achieve that, we need blockchain technologies, uh, Web3 technologies, self-sovereign identities um, to make sure, or NFTs as well, to make sure that we have full control over our data, our digital assets, and our digital identity. Now, I'm also a realist that I know that the road to this open metaverse, this open digital society, is very, 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 very difficult. uh, Because the companies that are currently in power, the big tech companies, they stand not to benefit, at least from their perspective, uh, from an open metaverse. Because obviously, from their perspective, they lose their data, uh, so they uh, don't have the opportunity anymore for value extraction. Um, and therefore, uh, that will impact their shareholder value uh, in the short term. And that is, again, linked to the previous part of our discussion, long term versus short term. I think if we end up in a digital society, which is owned and controlled by centralized big tech companies, because we were driven by short term uh, shareholder value, I think that's really problematic for society as a whole. Um, and I think we should do better from all perspectives. Yeah, And this requires work from organizations. This requires work from the startups who are building this stuff. Uh, this requires work from the regulators to regulate. And this also requires work from uh, you and me, the consumers. Um, uh, we need to educate ourselves as well on uh, why it is important to have an open metaverse, why uh, we should vote with our data, and why we should not just accept uh, a seamless uh, interface, but where we pay for with our data. 
that is really challenging. <laughs> um, it's really difficult to achieve that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to build a research institute to focus on the education part because I truly believe that this is, we have this, uh, to quote Eminem, you know, this, this one shot, this one opportunity, uh, are we going to do the right thing or are we going to let this slip um, and are we going to let big tech become a lot more powerful than they are today? So I, I really believe that, that we should act now in the coming couple of years before it is too late because you know imagine 10 15 years from now uh, facebook 2.0 or the tiktok for that matter which would be even even worse uh, where we create videos with our thoughts and uh, through brain computer interfaces um, and uh, our thoughts end up in china um, i think <laughs> that would be very problematic uh, or our thoughts end up with mr zuckerberg who can use those data to create advertising that will manipulate us i think that's problematic i don't want to live in a, in, a, in a future like that i'm trying to do whatever i can to at least change the narrative but it's challenging if we don't pay attention to this, we'll end up in a world owned and controlled by big tech. Thank you so much. I, I think uh, we end this conversation uh, on a note of uh, questions more than answer, which I like. <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe, maybe one thing that uh, I would like to ask you to, you know, before we close, is to um, first of all add anything that you believe it's important to add, you know, as a kind of closing of this conversation. And also, if you, if you can leave our listeners with a couple of breadcrumbs that they can uh, build upon after listening to this conversation. Well, I think the most important thing is to, um, for everyone, um, is to educate ourselves. We might be able to understand how a smartphone works, or we might be able to understand how social media works, but that doesn't mean um, that we are digitally literate. It doesn't mean that we understand how to behave in this world. It doesn't mean that we understand the consequences of whatever we're doing. Um, and I think in order to achieve that, um, in order to be able to vote with our data, we need to understand how our data is being used and therefore we need to educate ourselves. Um, and education uh, can be done by reading, but if you plan to read as much about how to learn to fly, uh, that doesn't mean that you will be able to, will able to fly. You know, at some point, you need to get into a plane and, <laughs> and take off yourself in order to really learn how to fly. You really have to start educating doing this stuff and think critically about what whatever you are doing um, and not just accepting everything that, that comes across. We are, over the past 25 years, you know, we've, we've come to accept all these free services that offer a seamless experience, but at the same time, pull us in, extract all our value out of us, uh, leave us locked in, in, in that cage. If we have a better understanding of how this technology works, we have a better chance to be more in control um, and not let that control slip to, to big tech. So my breadcrumb is start exploring this stuff. Start using this stuff. Start writing using JetGPT and Midjourney and all the other AIs to think about it. But then not just use it, but also think critically what it means and, and, and how you use it and, and why it's good or bad that you use it and in what way you use it. And I think that critical way of thinking is really important here. Thank you so much, uh, Mark, for the conversation today. I think this will bring inspiration to actually start yeah, following what, what you are doing in that 
learn and test and think critically like you you just summed it up very nicely don't believe in everything that the internet says i think that's even that question <laughs> triggers you to think who is the internet then yeah. yeah i hope you enjoyed also the chat today and it gave you also some food for thought for your work absolutely thank you very much for inviting me on the show uh, stina and uh, simon i really appreciate the conversation um, i think it's uh, it's very important that we think about this stuff um, and uh, yeah the fact that you host this conversation is is fantastic so uh, thank you for having me so great and for our listeners of course as as usual you can find all the references and more about Mark's work uh, where you find him on all social media channels and so on on our website boundaryless.io slash resources slash podcast you will find Mark's episode there and click on to anything you need so until we speak again remember to think boundaryless conversation was really great very actionable uh, in terms of how we should think about the future how we should look into the future and and i think our our listeners could really use the the the, the framing that uh, uh, mark uh, uses uh, the one you know where he connects with communities uh, makes a point of practicing new technologies and then looks into how these new trends and technologies converge So in a few words, communities, practices, and convergences seems like a very actionable uh, frame uh, for people that want to look into the future in a, in a very actionable way. Yeah, I think he gave us a good sound of uh, techno-optimism and, uh, you know, getting excited about what's coming ahead and, and not uh, sitting back and being a passive receiver. I think his message was very clear on that front that it when if you start preparing yourself when new technologies already arrive it's generally too late so we need to think exponentially like he said uh, he is doing to to foresee uh, what's coming so really really great chat